0: But what I want to do with you this evening is really start a new evening series for for the foreseeable future. Um, Sometimes I just come in these Sunday evenings and it's like, well, what's on your heart? And and one of the major focuses is the working of the Holy Spirit on the inside of our lives on Sunday evenings and also on answered prayer laying on of hands and ministry. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has led us to do certain mini-series or longer series here at the seven o'clock with what I believe to be a little bit of a prophetic edge. I remember, I can't remember when it was last year, maybe it was, that I did a series with you here on Ezra. And we went through the book of Ezra prophetically and we were speaking about the message of Ezra, which is restoration. Restoration. And that God was wanting to do a restoring work in the church and in our lives. And so I felt the Holy Spirit impress on myself that we would begin to take a journey into the life of Joshua and the Joshua generation over the coming weeks, as long as the Holy Spirit leads us and get into the book of Joshua. And I think that this is a very important thing for us to look at because God is preparing us. something. God is preparing us as individuals, as cells, as a church and also I believe that God is preparing his people in Europe to take possession of the land. This is in context when we think of R.T. Kendall and his message his powerful message that was birthed here at Kensington Temple on the midnight cry and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the revival to come just before the coming of Jesus. I haven't forgotten that. I don't know about you. I haven't forgotten that. It's not just, oh, is that what he's preaching on? I believe it's a word from the Holy Spirit, and I cherish that and think about it and ponder on it. And thank God Artie's going to be back with us again uh, for six months, end of January, right through. So we're going to enjoy having him with us. But when we think about that, that means... and, And R.T. believes, whether he's right or wrong, he says, as far as he thinks, he's going to be there to see this end time revival. And so that means that God is preparing his people to be part of that. I believe that. And that God, therefore, is preparing us to go into a place where we will go like Joshua and actually possess the land in a way that we haven't done before. How many of you know Europe needs repossessing? In times and seasons before, in history, both in parts of Britain and in Europe, there was a move of the Holy Spirit and Joshua generations were raised for certain areas, continents, and they went out, And by the gospel, they took possession of the land, and people were saved, and great moves, reformations, and revivals took place. And I believe that God is calling on us to get ready to prepare at many different lives for our inheritance and to possess the land. I'm not saying that, therefore, you've never possessed anything for God. I'm not saying that you're not going forward in your inheritance. I'm not saying those things, but I do believe there's a touch of the prophetic ministry on this for our personal lives, our destinies, as individuals, and also together in, and in a, in a broader, broader way. Now, when we, what I want to do this evening is spend some time before we get into the book of Joshua, I would like us to have a look at the preparation of Joshua um, before the book of Joshua, before he actually, because most people when they start to speak about Joshua, you start with Joshua chapter 1. Be bold, be courageous, meditate on on these things in the book and possess the land. But we're talking about a Joshua generation or a input of the Holy Spirit to cause us to go in and possess area and territory spiritually that we have not yet possessed, to move forward. uh, I I was just thinking of suddenly that Star Trek got into, into my mind, to boldly go, split infinity, to boldly go where we have not gone before, the pioneering spirit in our personal life with the Holy Spirit, to go with the Holy Spirit where we've never gone before, in our personal lives and families and and, and walk with God, to boldly go where we've not gone before, in our ministries and cells, to go where we've not gone before, to go into a land and to possess things and experiences that we've not yet possessed. And uh, if we're going to do that, I think we should look at the preparation of Joshua, which not many people do, and how he was... Raised by Moses, and the sort of experiences that we see him in Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers, and those key experiences, because I think when we see these key experiences in Joshua's preparation, there's something about those experiences that speak to you and I about the type of experiences and focus that we should have in our preparation to possess the land that God has called us to do. Now, it's interesting because when we see Joshua take control and and move into the promised land and Moses dies, we we see a great transformation. We see a, a great transition with the people of God. And yet within that transition into the promised land, there's also a strong continuity. We're talking about a people that a generation earlier were in abject slavery in Egypt. They were... In bondage, in weakness, they were being exploited. I mean, they were really under the hammer of Pharaoh. And yet, one generation later, they're about to move into a new experience. They're about to move into an experience of power. An experience of conquering, of possessing. And with that coming, great responsibility It was important, and we'll see this in the book of Joshua, that they would be cleansed from the influences of Egypt once and for all. You know, the book of Joshua is a little bit like the book of Acts in the New Testament. And I think if you look at the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the um, Old Testament, written by Moses, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, Numbers, These are a little bit like the Gospels, a little bit like the bringing of the law, uh, the the patriarchs. I mean, we have Abraham, don't we, in Genesis, and to him the promise is given. You will possess this land of Canaan. And then we get Moses delivering the people ready for the land of Canaan. And then we get the revelation that comes The revelation of the law, the revelation of how to run a nation called Israel, the revelation of how actually to live and act in the land. And I think that the first five books are a little bit like the Gospels, when Jesus came and brought demonstration and promise, and things like, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, the building of the church, the actual moment that the church was born and began to take possession of this world, spiritually with evangelism, was on the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? The day of Pentecost was like Joshua chapter 1. And out of that place, they went out to possess the inheritance, to preach the gospel to the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. And so I think that the book of Joshua is very much like the book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's the doing, it's the applying of the revelation. I think in many ways, uh, the generation that we have right now in the Western church, well, let's speak about Europe and, and Britain, that's where I feel competent to speak about. I believe that God has been bringing great restoration into the church. I believe we've had great training and equipping. But I do believe that we are yet to begin to possess our inheritance. Because if we've ha- if, if we possessed our inheritance already, then what a tiny little place we've possessed. There's millions and millions of people across Europe remain undiscipled, not even saved. So if anybody thinks that the Church of Great Britain, or we in, as a church in London, have begun to possess the land, if, if we have, we've only just put our foot across the River Jordan, compared to what we've got. And I don't believe that God has finished with London, or finished with Britain, or finished with Europe. I don't believe it. There's so much preparation, knowledge, that's being poured into the church. Seen it over the decades. There's been a journey. But that journey has been one of restoration, revelation, and maturing. Uh, Colin was speaking earlier about how he believes That in many ways, things are a lot more healthier in the church than they've ever been before. That God is doing a maturing work in preparation. Because in order to possess the land, we must be mature. We can't live in the old slave mindset of day to day. And so, to be cleansed from Egypt, to, to put into practice... The behavior and actions of the revelation that came to Moses. Because most of what Moses got, they didn't put into action. Why? Because they didn't... This was revelation for a new land. Time and time again we hear, when you go into the land of promise, when you go into the land of milk and honey, when you're there, when you're there, don't forget the Lord that prospered you. Time and time again. Moses, of course, was not just the bringer of the law, he was a great prophet. The greatest prophet before Jesus himself, greater than Elijah. And so he was preparing apostolically the people to go in. All that revelation was there in the book that he was writing and referring to time and time again. Uh, and, and the power of that book, of the law, and the Pentateuch, was to be... And we see this as we'll see in Joshua 1 eventually when we get there. In Joshua 1 we see, don't we, Joshua again says, Meditate on the book, on that book. The book's the key. What book? The Pentateuch, the five 5 book. Meditate, learn, put it into practice. And God, I believe, is raising up a Joshua generation sooner or later that will be obedient, that will take everything that we've got and actually do it. I mean, we, we, we in Kensington Temple, we are hoping to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. One of our foundational prophecies uh, of, of, of where we're going was by an elder in the mid-70s who had a vision and he saw people coming through those doors of Kensington Temple. And as they came through the doors, upon their foreheads was written, Hearers of the Word. But then he saw them leaving the church and upon their forehead was now written, Doers of the Word. To, uh, Joshua is all about doing. Well, let me move on in that introduction to the preparation of Joshua. Key elements that God prepared in Joshua and is preparing in us that if we learn from these, when we begin to increase in our taking of the land, it will will cause us to be prosperous and successful. Let's go to the first place where we meet Joshua in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. This is where we meet Joshua. When, we de- when the defeating of the, uh, of the Amalekites. Let me read it. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, this is Exodus 17, 8, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses and Aaron and her went up on the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed um, Amalek and the people uh, with, with, with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in, it's not a book in the Hebrew, it's the book. Write this as a memorial. Can you see some of these crazy liberal scholars that say that the Old Testament wasn't written for for centuries after the events that they talk about and that they were hearsay in oral tradition. The very evidence shows that Moses was carrying around a Holy Ghost diary that he was filling in. Called the Pentateuch or the book, and God said, Hey, Moses, make sure you write this in the book and keep reciting it. Very interesting, isn't it? Because Joshua's going, Oh, that went in the book, that went in the book. This is what is this book? This book had significance to Joshua right at the beginning. And then notice this he builds an altar, and then verse 15 16 it says. The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, what did uh, Moses learn about this? Well, he learned a number of things. He learned that although you have to act and go into battle and go against the enemy acting and doing and speaking is not enough. It must be done. But sometimes we find in churches today that some churches think that a frenzy of activity therefore equates a moving of the Holy Spirit. It's not true. While And think about this. Joshua is in the midst of the battle. And he noticed that when... They were prevailing, he could see Moses with his rod of authority high. But then, when he noticed that they were being pushed back and he looked back to see what was happening, he noticed that the rod of authority was lowered. He noticed, he understood that in the midst of battle and action, prayer must sustain the battle or there will be no victory. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer in your action. Don't underestimate it. You may do the right thing, but if it's not soaked in prayer or empowered by prayer, guess what? It won't work. This is why sometimes we see Christians and ministries attempting to do the right thing and not getting much fruit or results, and they don't understand it, but the reason is there's no rod being held high over the battle. So Joshua learned that no matter how competent you are, no matter how much you're doing the right thing, and listen, in your life as well, no matter how much you're doing the right thing, no matter how right the things that you are doing, if there's not the rod of authority lifted up in prayer, don't expect anything to happen. I'm learning more and more year by year that the things I pray about, things change that prayer partnered with action is effective. Prayer on its own is not effective. Prayer linked to activity is effective. And activity, even if it's the right activity, without prayer is ineffective. Joshua saw this right at the beginning. He also saw that he would have to battle and and the Amalekites... it, It wasn't just that the Amalekites were fighting the Israelites... But they were fighting God. And this is what we see, that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's a picture of a kingdom that is anti-God, an anti-God's kingdom. We know that as we go to possess the land of Europe, there is a kingdom philosophy out there of false thinking and false philosophy that is anti-Christ an anti-God. We need to know that when we rise up and take possession of new lands, that there is an enemy of God. But guess what? It's not just us fighting in our corner for KT or for London, but God is with us. Here is his first action. So we see these things, that the importance of prayer, that fighting and doing is not enough, but prayer. And he saw that rod of authority and he must have thought, that's what we need. We need the authority levels to be lifted high. This would help him. And also, of course, the importance of the book. The next place that we see him is in Exodus 24, verse 9, on Mount Sinai. Exodus 24, verse 9 to 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nabab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Let's just pause there. This is an incredible passage. The Seventy elders, not just Moses, uh, they saw the God of Israel. And this, listen to this picture. I don't know if you can picture this. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God... And ate and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I've written for their instruction. Again, the written word. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and went up to the mountain of God. And so, two things having come through that battle and understood the power of prayer and authority. There's two things that Joshua now experiences in this situation. He experiences, number one, the reality of God. And number two, here, he experiences the glory of God. Moses and Joshua there. It's amazing how they ate and drank. I mean, this must have been a marvelous party to be at. To be in the glory and presence of God, I mean, this speaks of the New Testament communion, doesn't it? you know, when they had fellowship with Jesus, and here they are. And just think of the impression on on people. Joshua saw the reality of God in such an open way. He saw his glory. He saw his reality. And during this experience, the barrier between the seen world and the unseen world was removed. That's very important. Because for Joshua to do what God had called him to do on the earth and the people, he had to understand that the interplay between the seen and unseen was constantly in motion. That God was right here, right now, immediately, present, all of the time. And so for that veil, if I can put it that way, that veil that separates day-to-day the unseen and seen seen realm, to be removed. So that when he got into the midst of battle and possessing the land and all the problems, he knew that God was real, that the kingdom of God was real, that God's promises were real, and not just by the book, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit that communicated God to them on that place. He had seen his glory. You know, the one thing that we need to mature in our lives is to act as if God is really who he says he is and that God is with us and that even though right now we may be looking with our natural eyes, angels are ministering amongst us this evening. I mean, that's not just, oh, really? No, of course they are ministering amongst us this evening. Like Elijah when his eyes were opened and he saw the armies of heaven. And so in order for us to move forward, we have to increasingly grow in our confidence that God is at work and alive and with us. Even when it doesn't seem like he's with us, he is in fact right next to us. And if he was to remove the veil of the natural, we would see it. That type of confidence, my friends, that God is with us, that God is real Whenever there's a move of God, the children of God carry a fresh sense of God's reality. How can a martyr be burnt on the stake praising God? Because God is more real to the martyr on the stake than the stake, the persecution, and the flames licking at their feet. I mean, that is a high sense of God awareness, is it not? and the boldness that comes into God's people when they possess the land comes from an awareness that God is real and really real. He's not the god of the past only or the god of the future only, but he is the living God. My 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 amen. My favorite title of God. My favorite title of God in the old and new testament is The living God. Because whenever the phrase the living God is used in the Old or New Testament, it's talking about the God who's here now. So David, when he sees Goliath, he said, Hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistines to threaten the armies of the living God? Not just God, the living God. And the problem with the armies right then was that they didn't believe that God was living in that situation. That's why they wouldn't go. The least of them could slay Goliath, and they did. It was David. So you hear this living God. When Peter had the revelation of the father of who Jesus was, and Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you are the son of the living God. In Hebrews chapter 3, when the children of Israel are being set up as an example of unbelief, Of people who did not possess the promised land. They were not the Joshua generation. Hebrews 3 says that's because they did not believe in the living God. Living God. So he saw the glory, he had experiences. Do you know? God never uses anybody unless he first gives them an experience. And God has given us experiences as a church, God has given you experiences. And these experiences are not experiences for experience's sake, but they are experiences for you to live on. You say, well, I haven't experienced God in that sense of a power experience for many years. So what? When you did experience him, it was to carry you through the time where you didn't experience him. It was your experience so that you could go in with faith. God wants you to meet with him. God wants to give you an experience, but not experience after experience after experience after experience so that we become addicts to God experiences. That's not God's way, but to experience God so that we can face what we need to face, do what we need to do, and if you doubt, you go back to the Word, but you also go back to the experience or the calling or the time that you met with God over this issue. It's the testimony and the Word. It's the word of God, the book, but it's the testimony of, I've met with God. God has proven to him. And God will meet with us in different ways. He's got many ways of doing it. So the reality of God and the glory of God. uh, And Ezekiel chapter 24, 17 says, the whole of the people now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Everybody saw this. Everybody saw God at work. This wasn't just for their benefit. It was to prepare them for battle. Next, um, Ezekiel chapter 32, at the golden calf. That's the next time we see Joshua. (coughs) Uh, 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 Sorry, not Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 32. And verse... um, 17. They're getting the tablets of Revelation. A bit more of the book is coming down. Well, not coming down, but God is giving them the book, writing. The tablets were the work of God. You see, this wasn't some made-up story. God was writing his word, and sometimes he said, I'll write it myself, thank you very much. Engraved on the tablets. But listen, while God is doing that, Joshua hears the noise of the people as they shouted. He said, Moses... There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It's not the sound of shouting for victory, or it's not the sound of cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf and what they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people drink of it. What an incredible experience from the glory of God and the reality of God to see the rebellion of God's people as they rose up to play. Now this is important because, you see, this was a people that was being prepared to conquer. This was a people that was being given revelation and experience in order that they might possess the land. God is a God of purpose. And God had purpose. Everything, that it, it wasn't just Joshua that was being trained. Not just Joshua. The whole people were going to be trained. Everything that was happening. It's like the Gospels, everything that was happening in the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, the Revelation, the miracles, everything, the signs, God appearing, all these things in the Gospels were to prepare the church in the book of Acts to possess the land, to go out and preach the Gospel. Uh, Their possession wasn't a land of Canaan, It um, it was Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost outreaches of the world. Isn't that wonderful? What a territory the early church had on that day. So everything that's happening is to prepare them for possession. But these people were not ready or were not understanding that they were in training for reigning in their possessed land. They were playing around. And so while God was writing and giving prophetic revelation that was about to be released to take them in to the promised land, what are they doing? They're playing games. What worse than that, too? Playing games. Christians and churches in Europe, I don't have to be a prophet to say are playing games. Preachers and leaders are playing games with the few people that they have, playing games, playing politics, playing games with revelation that means nothing but tickles ears, playing games, saying everything's okay when it's not, talking about the glory that they've not experienced, thinking that they're in victory when we are in defeat, Talking about the grace of God when the judgment of God is manifest upon this nation and reformation. Every morning I look at the world around me and I am marveling at the judgment of God that's upon the church. The judgment of God that is upon the city. The judgment of God that is on Europe. You say, there is no judgment. Have you seen how many people don't know him? Have you seen how many people hate him? Have you seen how many people despise him? Have you seen how the Holy Spirit has withheld the the grace of God on this city? Just go out and see the evidence and tell me there's no judgment of God. But God is looking for a people who are sober, not drunk, that were ready for the revelation, that will say, we will stand in the gap. It's not God's will to continue to judge this nation. But he can't bring a saving work while the people are playing games with their golden calves. You hear what I'm saying today? It's time for it to stop. It's time for us to be sanctified and delivered from the ghettoization of Charismatic Christianity, where we turn in on ourselves, talk to ourselves, fight among ourselves. All this inward looking, as if there's no world dying in its sins outside. And what happens when an army doesn't go to war? It fights amongst itself. It fights, I guarantee it, there is more in fighting In the churches across Europe than there's ever been before. Tiny, little insignificant churches of 10 and 12 having church splits. Come on. Come on. You hear what I'm saying? Leaders puffed up. Achieved nothing. Thinking they're living in the glory. Thinking they're living in the prosperity. Words of comfort. Words of ease. Words of self. Words, words, words. Comforting. They are deceived prophets with a spirit of deception, has come strongly upon the church in the West. There is a serious spirit of deception. A serious spirit of deception. If you don't believe me, watch some Christian TV. I'm telling you it. I am not putting myself, and I'm not, I tell you the deception is in me. We need to understand. We need to look at our own lives and say, where is this deception got me? Because God is going to work. We don't want to be down there playing by the golden calves like everything's all right. We want to be on the mountain. And this was important because they made a God that was no God. We want the living God. It sobered him. He saw the terribleness of sin, Joshua did. He saw how God could be sending revelation and the people of God could be playing games. (laughs) And he saw what came out of that. The whole of the people of God were to be disqualified except for two from the promised land. Next, Ezekiel 33 the tent of the meeting. The Lord speaks to Moses face to face, and they're in the tent. Uh, the Lord would speak to Moses in the tent. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, sorry, verse 10 of Exodus 33. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Wow. This was a mighty warrior with a lot of action and activity to do. I mean, He had to get out there and do the job. He wasn't a Levite that's going to spend his time in the Holy of Holies or just outside ministering to the Lord. This was a man of action. This was meant to be a man of courage. And we'll see that when at the beginning of Joshua, he was anything but courageous. He was insecure, fearful, and feeble. If he wasn't, why did God have to keep repeating himself? Only be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. You don't have to say it if he was. But here he is. And he he knows that everything's a mess, and, and he's in the tent. He doesn't want to leave. He knows the secret of any true power is found in the secret place. Alone with God, a man. Alone with God, a woman. Alone with God, the secret place of power, and relationship. The place where, if he could choose, he would never leave. He saw that's where Moses got his strength to deal with the situation. Next, uh, Numbers eleven, Numbers eleven twenty-four, prophecy in the camp. We have elders appointed to serve Moses because the weight was so heavy now. There were elders now and new leaders were being born. But Joshua was still uh, Moses' right hand man. But there was a new leadership. And uh, the spirit comes upon them in verse 25. And the spirit rests on the elders. And they begin to prophesy the anointings upon them. And God is speaking out of their mouths. But they did not continue doing it. Ah, but, verse 26, Numbers 11. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they'd not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, The assistant of Moses from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses and the elders of Israel returned. You see, there was a lesson that uh, Joshua learnt here. And the difference between him and Moses You see, Joshua was jealous for Moses' anointing, for Moses' reputation, for Moses' status. It seems that Joshua was a little bit insecure that God was using other people. Before, it had been Moses and Joshua. Wherever Moses went, Joshua went. Whatever Moses received, Joshua got the the overflow. And it was just the two of them, if you like. Then all of a sudden, 70 are now moving in the anointing. Something in Joshua didn't like that. Maybe he felt threatened. And maybe the way that he dealt with this threat of other people rising was to say, oh, Moses, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. This is a challenge to your leadership. This, this, there's other people looking good. There's other people moving in the anointing. There's other people moving in power. There's other people that God are using. And you were the man of power for the hour. You were the one that was getting the greatest viewing figures on God TV. But now there's some new ministers and they're popular and their books are selling and they're the new thing and they and, and and you know these two they look like They look like they're going to give us a run for the money, Moses. You need to sort it out. You need to establish it. And Moses just laughed. This is a picture. You know, Moses is known as one of the most humble men before God. Here's a picture of him. He laughed. He said, you're jealous for me. He says, don't be jealous for me. Moses said, I'm not in this for my God. Moses, if he had an option, he wouldn't even be with those people. He couldn't stand them, didn't like them, didn't want to do God's work, ran from God. If God at any moment had said, Moses, do you fancy going back and being a shepherd? He said, yes, please. He wasn't in it for his own personal glory. Often he would moan to the Lord. In fact, the time when he was disqualified from going into the wilderness, when when God said, speak to the rock this time, and he hit the rock, it was because he was fed up. He was fed up. He was fed up with them and he was fed up with God and he was fed up with his ministry and he was fed up with his call. And he was often fed up. Often fed up with God. Often fed up with the people. He was annoyed with them and he was often annoyed with God. Hey, if you're a friend with somebody, you can be real, can't you? But he was a humble heart and he was like, Joshua, this isn't the way that it works. This isn't the way that it works. I wish... All God's people. That God would multiply his misery. And I'm telling you what, if we get into any narrow-minded factionalism, you know, we're finished before we started. God's only going to use KT, or God's only going to use our doctrine, or God's only going to use our way, or God's only going to... And we begin to see that when we possess the land, loads of other people are popping up. Some like us, some not like us. That God is raising up people we don't even like. Don't even agree with. And yet God is using them. And maybe we should speak a few words to protect the flock. Or maybe we should, should go in there and just sort of like speak them down in order to promote ourselves. Joshua learnt a big lesson here. He learnt that the ministry was the Lord's. And that he just had to do his part. And if God had other parts for other people, it was none of his business. In fact, he should desire that God... We need hundreds and thousands of ministries and churches to to be raised up in order to take this this land, don't we? And so that was a great help to him. Uh, Then, now, we have the the camp. Then, spying out the land in Numbers chapter 13... and 14, I won't go into it, you can read it if you don't know the story, but just interesting in Numbers 13, 16, we see that, this is, this, that Joshua was, he wasn't always called Joshua, do you know that? That was the name that Moses gave to him. He was called Hoshea, And Hoshea means he saves. And Moses renamed him Joshua, put Yahweh in front of it, which means Yahweh saves. And you know the story, the spies went into the land, they came back, and there was a majority decision, a majority report. Ten votes to two, we can't take the land. Ten votes to two. What did Joshua learn? Joshua learned that a minority with, with God is actually a majority. Joshua learned that he wasn't to be led by the people, but he was to be led by God and then let lead the people. One of the great dangers of modern Christianity is that leaders are being led by the people. Or what I mean by that is they are saying, what do you want me to do for you and I will do it, just don't leave the church. And there's like a transaction. I'll give you what you want as long as you give me what I want. And here there was a great, a great thing. And people looked at it and they said, there's no way it can happen. There's no way we can take this land, even though they're being prepared for it. Ten against two. And do you know, 38 years were lost. Now, I don't think Joshua was happy about that. I mean, there he was. He'd actually gone into the land. And he said, it's everything. This is a foretaste. Do you know sometimes, let's throw this in, sometimes God gives you a foretaste of your destiny. Sometimes he'll give you a foretaste. Sometimes he'll do that. Sometimes there'll be an experience. Sometimes God will use you in a particular way. And and you go, wow! And you think it's it, but it's not. It's a foretaste of many years sometimes to come. It's a foretaste. This is a problem often with... Young ministers, because what will happen is, when a young minister is called, often God will give them a foretaste of something in the future, an anointing, or an experience, or God will move mightily upon them in those early years, and then suddenly they think they've made it, they think they're there, but it's a foretaste, and then God withdraws, and they think, what's happened? I don't understand this. You know, I thought this was going to be every day. It's a foretaste, to put in your spirit a deposit so that when you mature, you'll be ready to walk in that at a totally different level. There are things that God can put in me that I can utilize now in a level of maturity, sanctity, and obedience to God that I could never do in the early years. Oh, so you have to wait to be old, to be used of God. No, I don't mean it like that. There was things I did in the younger years I couldn't possibly do now. Just don't have the strength to to do the sort of things and work the sort of things that I did in the early years. So there's things when I was young that I can't do now. And sometimes I look back at when I was young and and my ministry and how I worked and what I did. There's just no way I could do it now. I'd be in hospital. Uh, And not that I was being unwise, but the Holy Ghost was on me and I was using my time and my strength in that manner so there's things that i can 't do now that I could do then, but I tell you what there 's a lot more that I can do now that i can 't do then, and there 's a maturity that 's just come with knowing God over a period of time and learning the lessons, the good way and the hard way and so there he is, and he has to wait thirty eight years because god 's people checked out with their faith, and then finally, we get uh, Joshua being finally ordained into the ministry. Not that he wasn't in the ministry then, but it was time now for him to cross over. We see in Numbers chapter 26, verse 18. Okay, um, I'm in the wrong. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay, forget that. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Got mixed up. Deuteronomy 31. We're coming near to the close of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy. uh, And. And and Moses begins to speak. And this is important. I won't go through it all, but Moses gives his last address. He speaks that the Lord has told him he won't go over to Jordan. And then in verse 7, he summons Joshua and said to him in the sight of all, Be strong and courageous. Isn't that interesting? Sort of the last words of Moses or the first words of God. There's a theme here. There's a preparing work. God is speaking to us because whatever you're called to do, us together, but you as an individual, whatever God's destiny is for you, do you know you're going to have to be strong and courageous? You can't, you can't just breeze on. Somewhere down the line, my friend, you're going to need strength in spirit, strength in God, strength in prayer. Somewhere down the line, you're going to have to have the courage to believe God. This is what life's all about. God wants us to be correct somewhere you're going to have to stand up and be counted somewhere you're going to have to take take a step out of the boat and walk on the water sometime you're going to have to cross over the Jordan into your inheritance and it's going to have to it's going to take guts Holy Ghost guts, if you know what I'm saying. It's going to take an inward fortitude that comes, that's birthed by the Spirit. You're going to have to step into the unknown. You're going to have to believe, God, that every place you put your foot... I don't know if it's going to be there. I don't know. Are you going to be there? I don't know. I've never put my foot there before. It's new territory. I don't know if you're going to be there. You're going to be there. And God says, be strong, and he's there. And then, again... I never put my foot there like the man who first walked on the moon. That must have been, you know, great step for man, small step for man, great step for mankind. Well, we need these steps. We're going to be stepping into alien territory, alien experiences. We're not wandering around in the wilderness like a bunch of crazy charismatics, round in the wilderness. You know, round in the wilderness. Oh, I remember that tree from last year. Oh, I remember that hill from last year. Oh, I remember that tree from last year and the year before. Oh, I remember that hill from last year and the year before. Oh, I remember that tree from last year and the year before and the year before. Shall I do it 40 times to make a point? (laughs) You're going to have to step into somewhere new. I guarantee if there's anything that Joshua teaches us is this. We are not meant to tread the same path again and again. But we're not meant to go in circles, but we have a linear route. We have a highway. We have a path. God is going somewhere. He's not just going around doing the same thing. And the danger is, is the people of God want the same thing, want the same thing, want another thing. I want more of this ministry. I want more of that. I want more. It's boring. It's boring and it breeds contempt of one another, God is going to say something new. That's how we develop new territories, new experiences, new conquerings in prayer, new revelation that leads to new action. There is a linear move of God. We are moving forward, and we are going into places unknown, paths untrodden. Although, if we look at church history, we'll find a prophet spoke to me and gave me a poem. And in the poem, he said that one day I was to go and part of my ministry would be to travel down paths untrodden. But the idea was in the poem, I can't, don't know it verbatim, it's in my prophecy book. But the idea was, is that these paths have been covered. These paths are no longer paths. But they were once paths. And that others had trodden them. But that I had not trodden them. We had not trodden them, whatever this means. I have a full revelation to show you what I've got. Paths unknown. But you'll find that the paths that are unknown to you and I that we tread, and we go, this is new, this is unknown. Yeah, but look at the Bible. Abraham went there before. Joshua went there before. Everybody in Hebrews 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, they trod the same path. It might have been a different time. It might have been a different call, but it's the same path—the path of faith, the path of promise, the path of obedience. It's the same path, but it's always a new path. And he said that Joshua and, and commissioned him to be strong and courageous. Then he reads that book again. Go and possess the land. He'll be with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't fear. Verse eight. Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests. It's that book again. That book, Moses, verse 24 of 31, when Moses had finished writing the words of his, this law in, in the book to the very end. Oh, look at that. Just before Moses dies, he finishes the book. And guess who gets to act on this new publication Fresh out, New York bestseller. Do you know Moses' books are still number one New York bestseller? Do you know that? Do you know that they don't put the Bible in the New York bestseller? They don't put it in. Why? Because it would be number one every single year. Because the Bible outsells and has outsold all books every year since it's ever been published and published throughout history. It's the most popular book. (laughs) Moses... All right, the whole Bible, the whole Bible, I know the whole Bible, but let's stick with Moses. Moses, do you know that book you've just finished is going to be the all-time bestseller? In fact, it'll become so much the bestseller that they won't even include it in the bestsellers because it's boring because we know that it's there. Do you know that? And guess who gets the first signed copy? Joshua. And God says, and this is where we'll end and move into a minute, and, and pick this up when I minister next time. God, and God says, be strong, be courageous. Remember what you've learned. And take the book. Meditate on it. Do everything the book tells you to do. Put it to work. In every place that you put your foot, you will be victorious. <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's stand together. Let's just stand together. If there's anybody on the ministry team or worship team who's got a word, I want you come up on the platform so you're ready. A word or a leading of who you want to pray for, we should pray for. Come up on the platform, don't be shy. The worship team, ministers, leaders, primary. Don't come up if you don't have a um, word, but if you do, come up and we'll come to you. Yes, Lord. Oh, let's, let's just open our hearts to the Lord right now. I believe there's something of the... Not everything in this is prophetic, but I believe there's something of the prophetic, and God has a habit of breaking the bread in a way that's just right for you, yeah? There'll be part of it that's just right for you, I believe. Something in that for you, and that's what God's on, and that's what you take away. God is certainly using us. I'm not saying we haven't gone into the promised land. This is prophetic, but I'm saying there's so much more for us, and therefore to learn these lessons are important as God is training and building us. Father, we just ask that you will pour your spirit upon us right now. As you've been working on the inside, a work I believe of faith and encouragement and expectation and meditation. So Lord, you now want to meet our needs. You're such a good God because you are the good shepherd. It's not all about us just doing what you want us to do, that's part of it. But God, you are here to sustain us. You are the manna. You are the fire at night. You are the sustainer. You are the one that blesses us. And as much as you want to use us, you also want to bless us. You want to bless us. And the more we want to be fit for battle, the more you'll bring your presence. So, Lord, we enter into the tent, as it were, like Joshua, a man of activity, but sometimes he was just in your presence where you were ministering to him in the cloud, the spirit of God, just ministering to him and touching him. And So, Father, we come to you now. We've heard your word, but we just lay that aside a little bit. We'll pick it up later. But, Lord, we just come to you and we say, God, I need a touch from you. I need strength from you. I need a healing from you. Lord, we come to you with our needs because you're our father. You said that you're a good father. So, Father, we pray that you will pour out your spirit in these next minutes. And there will be healings and miracles and encouragements and breakthroughs. And that you'll bring liberty into our lives, body, soul and spirit. As we just gently play, just attune your ears right now. We're going to pray for everybody that needs prayer, but we're just going to hear some things that the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us. We're going to hear the different things, one after the other, and then we're going to uh, begin to minister in them. So let's have in no particular order, Emma.
1: Okay, I I got a picture that there's a lady on this side of the room, and you you know God, um, but you don't know the Father um, God. You you know him in a in a religious way, but not as in a father figure in your life. And um, I got a picture where where you the father was just saying, "Get on my feet and let's let's have a, a little dance." You know when you go on your father when you're younger, and you just go like this but you're on his feet and he wants to carry you and if this means anything to you just come just come forward and I'll pray for you um because I've got I've got a word for you thanks
2: uh, okay louder thanks <laughs> um there's somebody here I think it's a woman and um you have this pressure where you're finding difficult to to line up what you know the Word of God is saying, to line that up with the pressure you feel from either your family or the community around you. There's a conflict there that the Lord wants to uh, 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 resolve for you. And th- that's that's one of the, 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 the people that I saw when we were praying. The other one is, um, in the middle of the week, there was somebody who the Lord impressed upon me, who is being bullied and just feels so helpless in the situation. And so I'd love to pray for both situations. The word of God that came forward, is said, he has been given a name that is above every other name. And what impressed my heart, I believe, is there's somebody who you have a disease or you've just been diagnosed with a disease or sickness. I mean, so many people, this might apply to a few people, but this specific one is you're struggling to actually understand or pronounce the name of the disease. But the word of God says that he has a name that is above every other name. And no matter what a name is or what is called, the name of God is above that name. Amen.
0: So we're gonna pray for sicknesses.
2: Okay, um, I had a few words. The first thing I saw was a foot. I mean, I'm not sure there's anyone here with any pains in your foot, but I also had the scripture how beautiful are those, who how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. And I just feel there's evangelists perhaps in this place, and that you've been burnt out, you've been discouraged. And I feel that God wants to come tonight, and He wants to give you a fresh touch, a fresh anointing for some evangelists in this place tonight. Also, I felt someone who was called to the care industry. I'm not sure if you're involved in the care industry, in the natural realm, but maybe you feel a sense that you're in the care industry, in the spiritual realm. I just feel that God really, you've just known, you've been asking God, that you really want God to give you a bigger heart of love, that you can love people. And I just believe that the Holy Spirit wants to come and answer your prayer tonight. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to come, and I had the scripture in Isaiah, which talks about remote, stretching out the tents of your, the, your, the peg tents. So I just I feel the Holy Spirit wants to come into that to you tonight. And the other ones I had, with someone suffering, anyone suffering with depression and pain, any arthritis is in the fingers. Especially I had pain in the thumb. And also, um, as my sister was talking about earlier on about the dancing, I also feel that you should be a creative person. There's someone here, because some, someone has damaged your creativity. And I believe that God wants to come and wants to restore that creativity in you again tonight.
1: It's, it's, it's about feet tonight. Uh, I was just standing there and the first lady said about feet and just before you spoke the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said there, there are people here um, uh, who God has told you to go to places and take authority wherever you're, the soul of your feet shall thread upon uh, uh, you will overcome and you will take and th- there's something that has been holding you back and, and God says, you should, I, I want to pray for you uh, tonight. If you are that person or those persons, uh, there's something uh, that God's been asking you to do and you've been afraid. God, God says, uh, you just need to step out and just just walk uh, uh, over that territory and God's going to give it to you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ivo. Um, I've been really blessed by what Bruce is sharing tonight. And- Just reflecting on some of um, Joshua's maturing moments and I really feel a a word for some of you tonight is, uh, a word that Jesus said, I desire that you should go learn what mercy means and not sacrifice. And um, part of a maturing step in in your walk is that you've you've got a, a very strong sense of what's right and wrong, but it manifests itself in judgment and judgment on other people. And you're very quick to tell other people what they've done wrong or think badly of them and that the Lord wants us to step into a growth personally internally where we learn that the priority is love you know we're sacrificing other people we're sacrificing who God says they are to justify our sense of righteousness but God doesn't call us to judge he calls us to love and I believe that that's a step that he wants you to take in the maturing of your ministry to move out of judgment into a place of love in the way you live your life.
0: Amen so we've had lots of Moves uh, a words of the Spirit, and you don't have to be prayed for by the person that gave you the word. You're wel- welcome to, but don't think, oh, someone gave the word, therefore I have to go to them. Uh, not necessary. If you if you want to, that's fine. But what what we're going to do now? Uh, we got the worship w- worship worship team. I assume they would be up here ready um, to to motor. What we're going to do now is. We're just going to spend some time in praise and worship and any of those things that we gave, you thought, oh, I think that might be me come out, be prayed for. If there's something that we didn't mention, but you still want to be prayed for, that's fine. This place is open for you. If you need to leave, wonderful. We'll see you here next week, but we're opening the floor time for ministry and we're also going to spend time just worshipping God for those that want to tarry and wait a bit.
1: Oh,